Good morning and welcome. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's our privilege to have you with us. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. It is uh, just a, a real privilege to me to know that you would make time to come and join us for worship as we gather together to worship the Lord. I fired Adam this morning from bringing my podium up. We tried it in the first service, and they were so good about it. So we're going to try it with you all. No, no podium today, so we're going to see how this goes. So uh, the first service, they, they responded well. Uh, be honest, they're usually a little better behaved than you all. So um, we, will, uh, we will see how, how all of this goes. So... Uh, they're just better behaved because they're still asleep when they get in. So it, it, they don't wake up till about halfway through the sermon usually. If you have your Bibles, in just a minute, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 23. So you can go ahead and start trying to find your way there. Let me just share a couple of announcements with you. Next Sunday morning in both services, we will have the Lord's Supper. So uh, as you're just looking toward and praying toward those services next week, uh, just be praying in that direction of, of uh, gathering together to remember and reflect upon the Lord's death on our behalf, his sacrifice that brings us healing. Uh, so do keep that in mind. I mentioned it last week. Uh, I want to mention again, and I will do some kind of a video this week to explain this and send it out to y'all. I've been saying that for six weeks or so, um, but I'm putting myself out there publicly so I don't have a choice. I hate doing those little videos, but um, uh, parent-child dedication is coming up next month. And what that is is an opportunity for you if you have a baby, if you have a toddler, if you have a 10-year-old, maybe you are somebody that came to the Lord late in life and you just want to take an opportunity to publicly declare that you are seeking to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, that you want to join with other believers together in that uh, sort of commitment. We're going to have a special service for that on a Sunday afternoon next month. There's information that's been coming out in the newsletters as they're emailed out each week. If you are someone who's interested in participating in that, or if you have questions about it, just fill out the form. Let us know. We can follow up with you. Uh, we're just trying to get a count and trying to explain, because that's, uh, that's something that's pretty different about the way we've done that in the past, just because of the move to two services that's required us to be a little different in the way that we're going to go about doing that. Um, so uh, those are the things that are jumping all over me today as far as announcements I need to get out. But I do appreciate you being here. Hopefully by now you've made it to Acts chapter 23. So I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 23 beginning in verse 12. The Bible says this, when it was day, the Jews now recall Paul has been arrested, uh, beaten and arrested. He's in some barracks there in Jerusalem. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they'd killed Paul. There were more than 40 who had made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them... For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. 
Now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see in this passage of Scripture how it is that we might live our lives in a way that honors Christ, that we might reject sort of the idea that we can uh, justify our means with our ends, and instead, Lord God, we'd seek to be justified only in you. I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. So I spent uh, the last week with our teenagers at camp, and uh, they, y'all, they begged me to preach. I wish y'all could have seen it. They just begged and pleaded, Pastor Craig, could you please preach longer? Y'all are laughing. The funny thing is, I'm telling the truth. They are great kids. They just suck up so much, and it thrills my soul. Um, but I uh, was able to do that. The Lord did some great things in their life. Uh, another group of our younger children were at camp just a uh, week before last. Lord did some great things in their life. And some of the things we're going to look at this morning is just to talk a little bit about the importance of having uh, lots of folks come alongside us as we're seeking to, to raise our children, what it looks like to be um, collectively uh, involved. Because we need, we need some, something of a, of a village to get through these things. And one of the things that we do as a church by exposing our kids to lots of different adult leaders is we give them the opportunity to not just be raised by mom and dad, um, that is your primary role as mom and dad, but to have lots of others in their lives who are investing in them and helping them to lay a strong foundation of following the Lord. So I just mentioned those things to y'all um, as much as anything. So I want you to know that you all help that as, you, as you've given your tithes and offerings. You all help that. Many of you have prayed for our kids and teenagers as they've been away. And uh, as a result, over the past couple of weeks, we've had, uh, I've got to get the exact numbers, but between our older elementary kids and our teenagers, we've had uh, six or ten that have given their lives to Christ in just the last couple of weeks. And so the Lord is doing great things in your church. The Lord is doing great things through your children and student ministries and uh, uh, we're really getting geared up for what um, the, the, the school year looks like. We know everybody starts coming back from vacation over the next couple of weeks. And uh, just to give you an idea, we have, uh, I think we have 15 fifth graders that will move up this year. So uh, we'll, we'll celebrate that with a children's Sunday next month. It'll, it'll, it'll happen during the second service one Sunday next month. But just a lot of good things that God's doing. And uh, he's using a lot of y'all to accomplish those things. All right, Acts chapter 23. Wrestling with this question, do two wrongs make a right? And then sort of asking this question, okay, specifically, are you honoring Christ in a Christ-like way? Are you honoring Christ in a Christ-like way? I'm, I'm going to give away the end of the sermon just a little bit. You can't actually honor Jesus unless you're living your life like Jesus, all right? So I'm going to go ahead and give it away a little bit right there. Uh, now, I am a gift giver and a gift receiver. You know that, that five love languages things? I, like that's, I, that's one of the ways that I experience gifts. It's just true, or love. I, um, and, and it's one of the ways that I show my love. I love to give gifts to Angela. I, it, it thrills my soul. And, and uh, so recently I, I called her and I said, Hey, honey, I, I, um, I, I've been thinking I really want to get you something. And, but I, I want to make sure it's the right color. So before I purchase it uh, I just wanted to double check with you so it was this new pistol that I'd found for her and um, I just needed to know what color did she want it to be you know it was interesting because she kept saying things like I don't want that <laughs> you're not buying that for me you selfish jerk you're buying that for you and I was like no honey it's for you you're gonna love it but but they, they only have it in two colors, turns out, and uh, it's like black and black. So if you like 
that color, I, it's on sale. I mean, it's a steal. I can get it for you. Sometimes we try to love other people in a way that's kind of self-centered. Well, y'all do. I mean, I don't, obviously. And sometimes we actually try to honor the Lord in a similar way to that. It's like, hey, God, I got this thing that I'm planning on doing, um, and so I'm just going to, it's for you, okay? And since it's for you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. Sometimes we seek to sort of baptize our selfish motivations in such a way that we sort of make them to be godly things when the truth of the matter is they're just about me. It's all about just getting my way and then putting Jesus' name on it so that you can't complain about it. For those of you that maybe went to a Christian college or were part of Christian ministries when you were in college, you saw some pretty immature Christian uh, young people do some really dumb things. It was Christian boys. I loved it. They, they'd, get, they'd find themselves in a relationship with a girl, and they couldn't figure out how to get out of it. And uh, so uh, rather than just like being a man about it and saying, hey, I, I, I don't think that I should be dating you anymore, or uh, I don't find you attractive anymore, or I'm a huge jerk and you don't need to be dating me, or whatever you might say. I love this one. They go, you know what? I think the Lord has told me that we shouldn't be together anymore. I inform our teenage boys before they go off to college that if they come back and they tell me something stupid that they've said to a little girl like that, I'm going to slap them. Like, we're just going to get out there. You don't get to blame Jesus for your decisions, okay? Now, some of y'all are like, that's right, stupid teenage boys. And yeah, I've seen y'all do the same thing. I've seen y'all do it. We have a bad tendency of sort of baptizing our motives so that we can claim that all we're trying to do is honor the Lord. This morning, this passage of Scripture is different. It's different than most of everything else we've seen in the book of Acts. Because there's no preaching, there's no gospel, there's no mission right here. And yet the Lord has preserved this passage of Scripture for us for over 2,000 years. And as we, we wrestle through, because look, God didn't have to leave this story in here. You could get the rest of the book of Acts and the big picture of the book of Acts without this passage, and yet the Lord stuck it in here. So I believe he put it in here for a reason. And I believe that one of the primary reasons that God has given this passage to us is so that we can be warned about the temptations that we all have to baptize our motives and to try to make my desires God's desires rather than to make God's desires my desires. And so this morning, this passage of Scripture serves to remind us that two wrongs don't make a right, and hopefully it helps us to wrestle with the question as to whether or not you are seeking to honor Christ in a Christ-like way. A few things I want us to see from this passage of Scripture that I believe apply particularly and specifically to our lives today. Number one, this morning, you need to be honest about your capabilities. Be honest about your capabilities. Now, the first aspect of that is a positive aspect. You need to be honest about the fact that if you belong to Jesus, you are capable of doing good things for God's kingdom. You're capable of making a positive impact for the kingdom of God. You're capable to share your faith. You're capable to invite somebody to church. You're capable of honoring God's word. I mean, you say, well, Craig, what could I possibly do? One of the things the Bible tells us, for instance, that is, is good and right and godly is to is to uh, care for prisoners and widows and orphans. You know how easy it can be, for instance, to care for widows and orphans? Some of you, the easiest thing you can do is just write a check to help care for a particular orphan care ministry. Or maybe just to go and sit and drink a cup of coffee with a widow lady and see if there's anything you can do to care for her, to pray for her, to just spend time with her. Y'all, those aren't things that require a specific skill set. That just requires a little bit of effort and intentionality. You just have to make yourself available. Be 
honest about these capabilities and be honest about the fact that you can do something good. Don't allow your own insecurities or even worse, the whispers and the temptations of Satan to convince you that somehow or other you are absolutely not valuable to God's kingdom. There's something you can do. There's something that you can do. There's something you can do today. Jesus said that we are to love our neighbors ourselves. How many of you have spent intentional effort trying to love other people outside of your immediate family? How many of you have tried to love people that maybe didn't deserve your love? How many of you just tried to love somebody in the grocery store checkout line when you just didn't really feel like it, you know? We do those things, and, and, and as we do, we're practicing some aspects of seeing the, the kingdom of God come to earth. So be, be honest about our capabilities, but be realistic about the fact that you can do something. Please know that you can do something, and you can do something good. But it's, see, that's the positive. The other part of being honest about our capabilities is the negative side. I need you to be honest about the fact that you are capable, I had to, Untied my shoe. You are capable of committing terrible sins. I'm sorry to tie my shoe, but if I fall off this stage, some of y'all will be brokenhearted. But there's about 100 people in this room that would laugh about that for the next 10 years, and I don't feel like listening to it. I appreciate the rest of you that are concerned for me. And for all of y'all sitting over there, I don't have time for it, just to be totally honest. And it's not all teenagers. There's some 50-year-olds in here that probably paid for my shoe to come untied so they could see me fall off this stage. I'm looking at a few of you, right? Every head bowed and every eye looking around. I know who needs to repent right now. Listen, some of y'all need to be honest that you're capable of committing terrible sins against your pastor. Um, All right, you are capable of committing terrible sins. Now, I, I want us to think about these men. These are men who have wives and children, okay? They probably didn't wake up three days ago and go, oh, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to get myself into a plot to kill this, this guy. And yet here we are, 40 men that have committed themselves to not eat or drink until they have killed the Apostle Paul. You are capable of committing terrible sins and if you try to convince yourself otherwise you have put yourself in a dangerous place folks i can't tell you how many times i've watched the news and saw somebody say i never believed he would do that after they got arrested for some heinous crime i couldn't believe that she did that that was my neighbor i never saw it coming and those are things that happen on the news. Y'all, I can't tell you how many times I've had people sit in my office as I've counseled them through terrible things that have gone on in their marriage, terrible decisions to be unfaithful. And they would look at me and say, I can't believe that I've become that person. I would never have believed that I would be capable of that. Or for a spouse that says, I never believed that he or she would have ever been capable of that. Y'all, you are capable... And I am capable of terrible sins. Just last night, I, like I said, I've been at camp with these kids, and they, they, they won't let me sleep. They don't go to sleep, and so we can't go to sleep. And so, um, you know, I, I hadn't had a lot of rest, and then I had to drive home while they slept. And I got home, and then at like 9.30 last night, I was watching the Braves game, watching them blow a lead, which was pretty frustrating. Um, 
and um, I fell asleep in the floor. And in the middle of that game, one of my children, who will main, remain nameless, was cheering loudly for the game, apparently. And I didn't know it because I was asleep. And so somebody in the same room as me screamed when something was happening during the game. And I am sleep deprived. And I was asleep in the floor. And when that scream happened, I jumped up. And I thought that like the house was on fire or an intruder had come in or the world was ending. And I screamed back, What are you doing? Do you know that I'm actually capable of losing my temper with my children, apparently? Apparently, if you wake me up in that particular moment screaming like the world is ending, I am capable of doing the wrong thing. I didn't do the right thing. By the way, sorry about that. My bad. Um, I, I didn't do the right thing, you understand. But I'm capable of that because I, I, I'm capable of being selfish. I'm capable of just wanting what I want. And in the middle of that, the book of James warns us that sin grows. That it begins small but left unchecked, it leads all the way to death. You see, my selfishness may begin with something as small as y'all leave me alone because I want everything to be peaceful and quiet. And left unchecked, it can grow into something far more heinous. You and I are capable of committing terrible sins. We're going to cover a couple of Proverbs this morning. And one of those Proverbs is Proverbs 29, 11. It says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Another translation of that verse says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. Be honest about the fact that you can become and I can become very foolish. The Bible says that the beginning of, uh, of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? That we begin to grow in wisdom. The Proverbs are also going to say <coughs> the beginning of the wisdom is this, get wisdom. In other words, if you want to be wise, you will find it when you seek after it. But here's the reality. We find ourselves often in positions and in places and in times when we're just rejecting wisdom. And instead, we're chasing after our own selfish desires. These folks were probably trying to uh, pretend at least like they were doing the right thing. But perhaps they found themselves in the situation they were in because they had never actually considered that they themselves might become enemies of God's kingdom. That they themselves might become murderers and insurrectionists. And yet, that's exactly what it was. Be honest about your capabilities. But the second thing this morning, I want you to be honest about your motives. Be honest about your motives. How many of y'all are dishonest about your motives? See, I, I can be. Here it is. Again, completely honest with you. Let's just go back to Craig's den. Craig has a motivation. A lot of times, like Saturday nights, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to like hanging out at my house and not doing anything awesome. Uh, because i got to get up early. At least that's what I say. And I've got to be up early and i got to preach to y'all. And so, honestly, um, Saturday nights, is, it would be happy with me if we had dinner, say maybe around 6.30. I had a nice meal at my kitchen table. My children were kind and sweet and we did all the great things. And then I retired to the den maybe about 7.30 after a nice dessert where everyone served me and cleared the plate for me. And then I retired to the den and I sat in my nice chair and I covered up with a little blanket about this far and I had me a little book and my my children rose up and they called me blessed and they gathered around me and they played games in the floor they read books and they looked at me and they said oh dear father is there anything you need and Angela you know fluffed my little pillow and they looked and I said I'm so grateful that you guys so 
prioritize the proclamation and preaching of God's Word at Malvern Hill Baptist Church on Sunday mornings, that you guys are honoring the Lord by taking care of me on Saturday night so that I can be ready to preach on Sunday mornings. What's my real motivation? I just don't feel I listen to anybody. <laughs> I can baptize it, right? But the reality is I just want some peace and quiet. I've got to be careful about that. I, I, I've got to be aware of that. And listen, I don't have to like it. But it is what it is. I like things to be a certain way. I do. I'm old before my time. I'm 42 years old. And I just don't want things to change all that much. Like as my kids get older, things get busier and, and they want to like do things. They don't want to just sit at home on a Saturday night while I read a book and they leave me alone. They oh, well, go play a game with me or go throw the ball with me or take me here or go do that. I don't like that. That's change. I am very rhythmic. Please leave me alone. Listen to me. Hating change is not the same thing as loving Jesus. Hating change is not the same thing as loving Jesus. We speak of ourselves as being conservative. At its root, that word conservative just means that we're seeking to conserve things, conserve something. Listen, when it comes to this book, we need to be uber conservative. We need to be absolutely rabidly committed to this not changing. Period. None of this shifts or changes. But beyond this book, we're hard-pressed to make the case that change is bad. Be honest about your motives. Sometimes we have a desire to keep things the same way, and then we seek to baptize it in the Word of the Lord. But the motivation often is not to honor God, it's just to make me feel a little bit better about myself. It's just to make me feel more comfortable about the place I'm in. You say, well, Craig, how would I know if I'm there? How often are you a person that's quoting obscure verses to try and make sure you continue to get your way? That's a pretty good sign that you're finding yourself in dangerous places. How often are you so concerned with having it just your way? I drove past a, um, so we're in this, this, uh, all these meetings with, you know, about, about buildings around here. And at some point, hopefully in the next few months, we're going to throw you guys something that's going to make you go, oh, that is amazing and beautiful. And I can't believe y'all came up with that. Um, but uh, I, I drove past this church building yes, uh, one day this week, and I thought, that is the ugliest building I've ever seen in my life. And it wasn't new. This is a, and I thought, who in the world would build that and think that looks like a church? Why would they do that to themselves in this community? And I thought, wow, Craig, what a jerk you are. You know what I mean? Like, like as though somehow or other, if it doesn't look a particular way, that the Lord couldn't be worshipped in it. You understand that that was me trying to baptize my desires, that this is what a church is supposed to look like. Well, that might just be what the churches that Craig Thompson has worshipped in for his whole life sort of looks like, but that doesn't mean it has to look that way. Folks, we find ourselves in dangerous places when we are trying... To hide our motives. And we're sort of trying to baptize them. Just because we don't... Why, doesn't, why don't churches like that? Now, this church does a pretty good job, but oftentimes, why don't churches like to change? See, here's the reality. In American culture, the church is the last democratic institution. It's the last democratic institution. And if you've lived long enough, and apparently it's only about 42 years, I can't imagine how set in my ways I'm going to be like when I'm 80. Y'all pray for me. Because at 42 years old, the world seems to be changing a lot. And I don't always want the church to change too much because I like it just the way that it is. I mean, look, y'all, we, we did a brand new building and we kept the stained glass. 
All right, well, let's not change anything. Stained glass is supposed to be in a church. Well, it says who? Not Jesus' word, right? It's good. It's beautiful. But the fact that we're working hard at this stuff, why? The church, we, we, have, we walk into our church and we go, everything else has changed and this needs to feel, you ready? Comfortable to me. And I hope that the church feels comfortable to you and loving and wonderful. But our primary motivation is not that it feels comfortable to you and me. The primary motivation is that it becomes a missional outpost in a world that is lost and dying. And that the buildings that we have serve us in missional purposes. The primary motivation for God's people should be that we are willing to do all we can to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations if that's what it takes for us to reach people with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we've got to be honest about our motives. Some of y'all don't want to be honest. Well, it has to be this way. Y'all, it's got to be, if it's got to be this way, it's got to stand up to this. So, um, hating change is not the same thing as loving Jesus. Um, but second this morning, in, in that same idea uh, about motives, seek out accountability for your motives and trust it. And trust it. See, here's the reality. If I look at Buster and I say, Buster, I want you to be speaking into my life if it seems as though my motivations are shifting. And if Buster looks at me and pulls me to the side, and Craig, I've been watching, honestly, it just, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing, but it doesn't seem as though it's rooted in a desire to please and serve the Lord. Seems a little selfish. And if my response to Buster Morris in that moment is to tell him how wrong he is and to explain myself, then I'm not actually seeking out accountability. I'm not, I'm not trusting it. I'm just pretending at that point, you know? I, I've become a terrible hypocrite at that place where I've said, y'all keep me accountable. The minute that somebody seeks to provide accountability for me, if I disagree with that person or I fight against that person, then what I'm showing is that I don't really desire to have accountability. I just desire to have people around me that will continue to prop me up and tell me that I'm right. That they like me. Listen to me. If you have the kind of personality and the kind of disposition that people feel like they can't tell you no or tell you that you're wrong, you need to pray diligently two things. Number one, that God would soften your heart. And number two, that God would raise up people around you that are stronger than you are. We desperately need those things. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Listen to me. If, if the people around you are telling you you're wrong and you're telling, you, telling everybody else that you're right, beware. If you believe that you're the righteousness police and it's your job to fix everybody else, beware. Understand that we have a group of men who didn't want to see Paul do anything different and who decided that change was bad and they were willing to take him out if that's what it took. They were willing to act ungodly so that they could accomplish their purposes. You can't do unchrist-like things and pretend that you're honoring Jesus through it. Beware about your motivation and be honest. Sometimes we just need to look in the mirror and say, this is what I really want and this is why. I'm going to pick on Adam. He's sitting right there. I didn't do this in the first service. But um, that man hates change more than anybody I know. 
He does. He, he despises change. And every once in a while I have to look at him and say, Dude, why are we doing this? I don't like it. Well, that's not a good reason to do it or not do it, you know? And he is only second in that to me. I hate change with a passion. But just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's a good reason. We need to be honest about our motives. What are we after? What are we desiring? What are we aiming for? Are you honoring Christ in a Christ-like way? Number one, be honest about your capabilities. Number two, be honest about your motives and motivations. Number three this morning, be faithful to God's Word. Be faithful to God's Word. If you must break God's Word to honor the Lord, you're not honoring the Lord. Those of you who are parents, I want to paint a picture for you. I want to paint a picture of your favorite child. You all have one, don't lie. Um, I mean, I don't, but your favorite child. And your favorite child comes to you, and your favorite child says, Dad, I know that you told me these six things to do. And I decided that I would honor you today by not doing any one of them because I was going to do this other thing that I knew would make you happy. As a matter of fact, Dad, I decided that I would disobey all of those so that I could honor you with this. In that moment, your head spins around three times, and then it just completely separates from your neck, you know? I mean, as a father, you're sitting there going, you believe somehow you're claiming that you're honoring me by disobeying me repeatedly? And yet, how often have I seen people who claim to be followers of Jesus and claim that they are honoring the Lord by hating their neighbor or by ridiculing people around them? Or by living blatantly sinful. You ready for this one? This one's ugly. How often have I seen people who claim to be followers of Jesus who would spread dissension in their church? I mean, honestly, how many of you have seen friends that way? That would trash their pastor in the community and do it all in the name of the Lord? Well, I've got a responsibility to stand up and do what's right. No, you've got a responsibility to go to somebody if they've offended you. You've got a responsibility to be able to prove your point scripturally. And sometimes you've got a responsibility to be able to differentiate between the things that are first tier, second, and third tier. Sometimes the responsibility that we have is to be a part of a church where we can occasionally disagree about a few things, but agree about the things that matter the most. Sometimes what we can do is love one another enough to overlook the problems in their life or the sin in their life to recognize that as I'm looking at the specks in theirs, there's a log in mine. So I've got to work diligently to be faithful to God's Word. Now, you're saying, Craig, you're pulling this out of thin air. You ready? You ready? Just in case you think I did. I want us to go back and revisit Paul's friends here. Now, Paul's friends are seeking to kill him. Why are Paul's friends seeking to kill him? Go back to chapter 22, verse 21. Paul said that he was, he was communicating to them what the Lord said. He says, and he said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, you would think these dudes hate Paul so bad. They're like, oh, thank goodness. The Lord said, go away from here. We're going to send you far away. And they're like, can y'all just get him out of here and we'll be satisfied? But they're not. They're not going to be satisfied with that. Because, look, they, they, they claim that they're doing this to honor the Lord. But Paul communicated God's word to them. And their response is, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. 
It was God's word, and yet when God's word didn't fit with their preconceived notions of what they wanted to be happening in accordance with their perspective of religion, that moment they were willing to disobey God's word so that they could honor God by killing Paul. Now, they didn't have the privilege of the New Testament that you and I have. So they only had the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is broken up into several different sections. What are the first five books of the Old Testament called? Torah or the law. Good job. Now, if we were to sum up the law, what, what, how would we sum up the Old Testament law? Not, not the way Jesus did, by the way. The other way. This isn't a trick question, guys. Ten Commandments! Ten Commandments. Thank you, Landon. See, if you had a voice, you could have done it for us, but now. Ten Commandments, right? I mean, that's it. It's, it's all summed up there. Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and sums it up into two sentences because he's Jesus. The rest of us need Ten Commandments, you know, because we, we need a little bit of help. Ten Commandments. That's it. How many of God's commandments were these men willing to break so that they could honor the Lord? Let's count them up. All right, so they were willing to bear false witness, right? They were willing to murder. What else? Huh? What else? Adult adultery. Okay. Sheesh, you know something I don't know. Um, what else? Huh? Idols. Right. How? They were they were worshiping an idol because you ready? They heard God's word. But God's word didn't satisfy what they wanted. They were not worshiping the God of the Bible because if they were, they wouldn't be seeking to kill Paul. They were worshiping a false image. Which God were they worshiping? The one that they had created to make them feel comfortable with their own lives. They were worshiping a God of their own creation. This happens every time we read God's word and we discount something in it that makes us uncomfortable that we don't like. And we just throw that away. And so we say, no, no, I'm going to worship a God that looks like me or that feels like me or believes like me or agrees with me. Instead of clinging to a God that commands and expects us to be conformed into his image. Folks, we cannot honor the Lord by disobeying his word. And that's what was happening. Men who were willing to disobey God's word. God's words being given to them through Paul, but even if they couldn't get to a place where they could trust Paul at this, this point, they were still willing to dishonor God's given law from Mount Sinai. Be faithful to God's word. You can't honor Christ and disobey his word. But the, the, lastly this morning, trust in the sufficiency of God's word. You see, one of the ways that we can disobey God's word is to take away from it and, and disobey it, break it, pretend like some things don't exist in it. Another way that we are unfaithful to God's word is when we add to it. Now, Eve got herself into trouble with this. So Eve ate from the tree of knowledge uh, along with Adam in the Garden of Eden. But there's, there's an interesting thing. Everybody says, well, when they did that, Eve sinned. I believe that sin, that, that, that sin had already entered into Eve's life prior to that. And I believe that sin entered into Eve's life the very moment that she added to God's word in the garden. You see, the Lord said you can't eat from it, but Eve said, he says we really can't just eat from it. We don't even need to get near it, touch it, look at it. I mean, it's bad all the way around. You see, here's what happened. 
The Lord said do this, and Eve said, no, 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 no. I actually know better than God does, so I'm going to add a little bit to it. All of us would stand our ground and fight against anybody who's trying to take away from God's Word, but often followers of Jesus are not as committed to diligently avoiding adding things to God's Word. Because in our self-righteousness and holiness and legalism, we begin to believe that if going this far is good and godly, then taking the next step is actually super holy, and that's what we should be doing. You don't get to add to God's Word. And you certainly don't need to add to God's Word and expect other people to be obedient to your additions to God's Word. In the 70s, um, a church near where I grew up, matter of fact, this is near where me and Keegan both grew up at, and uh, there's a church there, and in the 70s, during the, the back end of the hippie movement and everything else, and there was a big issue in the church for men with long hair. Some of y'all are old enough to remember that, and that was, that was an abomination, okay? Um, and look, I know some of you can go and point out the scripture to you. Remember what I said about running to obscure texts? Um, you can go and show it. Right there, right there it says it. Um, I, I'm with you. So the problem runs into the fact that if we are being historically accurate, it's almost inconceivable that Jesus didn't have long hair. Um, they, they didn't have, you know, access to good scissors and things like that. So, I mean, you know, Solomon cut his hair once a year. And, uh, man, it, I don't know how much, no, not Solomon. Absalom cut his hair once a year and, you know, weighed like 60 pounds or something. I don't know. Um, so, Jesus would have had long hair, okay? Um, and so, in the baptistry at that church, on the back wall, they had painted one of these nice, beautiful pastoral scenes. There's a river. And Jesus is standing at the riverside. And so when you got baptized, Jesus was watching. I mean, that'd be awesome, right? Jesus is there at your baptism. And there's a picture. Well, there was a huge problem in the church. And the problem was that they had decided that long hair was a sin on men. And there was Jesus in the baptistry with long hair. So what in the world are you going to do? Well, the only thing you could do. They painted over Jesus. True story. It's funny, right? You ready? Hold on, hold on. Because y'all thought it was a funny story. But here it comes. You ready? Every time you add to and take away God from God's word, here's what you're doing. You're just painting Jesus out of the story, and you're making yourself the God of your own life. But Craig, you don't understand. This is important. I just have this crazy belief that if we take God at his word, we can just trust him and walk away from the rest of it. But, but, if we take him at his word, we can walk away from the rest. Are you honoring Christ in a Christ-like way? We had a group of people who claim to honor God in this passage by seeking to kill Paul. I don't think any of you are planning to kill anybody today. But how many of you have found yourself at times baptizing your own desires, your own motives, claiming them to be a Christian thing or a God thing, but deep down knowing the whole time that you just didn't like it? Folks, let's work diligently to honor Christ 
in a Christ-like way. Christ-like, that means we love our neighbors ourselves. That means we love the brothers and sisters in Christ because that's the greatest apologetic of the world around us. Christ-like, that means that man, we, we're, we seem to be relatively enjoyable to most people. That's what Jesus was. Christ-like, sacrificial, loving, passionate, compassionate. Christ-like, imitating Jesus. There's some of you today that as we close out our service, I know it's kind of an abrupt ending, but as we close this morning, some of you honestly, honestly just need to repent because you've told people how you were honoring Christ and maybe you've done a lot, of, a lot of good things, but you know deep down that about half the things that you've done have not really been about Jesus, they've been all about you. I want to warn you today because Jesus said there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come and stand before him and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. See, there's some people, maybe some of you here today, who have done many things in the name of the Lord, but you've never actually surrendered yourself to the Lord. There's a reason why you're even angry and bitter in your service to the Lord. And the reason is because you don't actually belong to Him. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ, I'd love today to be a day that changes your life. That today you stop playing church, today you get real with Jesus. But there are others of you today that maybe you would just come and pray right here. Maybe you pray in your seat. Because you just acknowledge, Lord, I've done a lot of things for you that haven't actually been like you. Lord, I've done a lot of things in your name that were actually in my desires. God, my heart is just filled with bitterness and anger. And God, I've convinced myself that it's okay because I'm fighting the good fight. But y'all would remind you that anger and bitterness, those are fruits of the, of the flesh. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Some of you need to come and pray, Lord God, I don't have those things. Because I've fed the flesh for far too long. As we sing this morning, I pray that you'd allow the Lord to work in your life. Let's pray. Stand with me. Father God, I just love you and thank you so much. Pray that this word would sink deep in our hearts, that you forgive us for our sin and make us more like you. God, that you would draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.